What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode three of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Setledge, and I am the BJJ Strength Coach. And this is a Q&A episode. I've compiled uh, some of the most popular questions you guys sent in over this past week. And we're going to run through them. Some of them, most of them are related to strength and conditioning and practical tips on how you can win more matches in wrestling and jiu-jitsu and get injured less. Um, but some of them are a little... Uh, little outside those parameters too, which will be pretty fun. So, but before we dive into it, I do want to let you know that this episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by thestrengthmatrix.com. If you guys are interested in a really simple and effective way to get stronger so that you can win more matches and get injured less, we have a free four-week strength program that we'd like to send you. To download that program, all you got to do is just click the link in the description below of these uh, of this podcast or in the podcast notes. And then from there, you'll be on your way. You'll be off uh, deadlifting, doing some kettlebell presses and things. Things are going to help improve your grip strength, improve your upper back strength, improve your shoulder stability, and develop your posterior chain, all of which are very important for helping you win more matches and get injured less. So without further ado, let's go ahead and kick this thing off. Question number one is from my boy, Joe Bon Singh. He's a member in the Strength Matrix and a critical member of the AM crew. His question is, for athletes beginning their strength journey, would you recommend they get comfortable with barbell lifting or using more so dumbbells at first? Um, it could be either or. Use whatever you have available to you. I personally started with just lifting. Well, actually, I can't even say I started with dumbbells. I was doing push-ups and sit-ups in my room when I first started training. But then shortly thereafter, I got a hold of my dad's uh, old dumbbell set from the garage, brought it up to my room, and I was training with dumbbells. So I got pretty proficient in dumbbell training, and I really didn't do any barbell lifting. Actually, I didn't do it. I didn't, the first time I ever lifted a barbell, I was a freshman in high school. But all of seventh grade and all of eighth grade, I was using dumbbells. And it, I do believe it helped build a really strong foundation of strength and movement and um, stability. But I don't think that every athlete needs to avoid barbells for the first two years of training. I think if you have access to barbells, and more importantly, you have access to a coach who's able to demonstrate and teach you how to lift properly and effectively, you could use any tool that's available to you. That doesn't mean I think you should start lifting heavy with barbells right away. I think you should keep things pretty sub-maximal um, for a while. Uh, a while is going to be determined on how good of an athlete you are. So a while for some people may be like six months, and then after around the six-month mark, you can start like starting to get into some heavier weights or weights that may be a little bit closer to your limit. Uh, for others, it may be a couple of years. You know, for me. It took me two years before I even lifted with a barbell, and then it probably took me another year, shoot, probably even another three years until like I really was training with barbells uh, heavy consistently. I was just building up a ton of workload and a ton of volume and a ton of GPP with barbells and with dumbbells and other implements and things, but it wasn't until I was about a senior in high school that I was training heavy consistently. So um, hope that answers your question, Joban. This one is from my boy, Zach, who's also in the AM crew and uh, one of the athletes in the Strength Matrix. He says, what drives you and keeps you motivated? And his second question is, if you were creating your own home gym from scratch on a limited budget, what would we find there? Um, to answer the first question, what I what drives me is just, I, I truly believe I was put on this earth for a very, like a very limited 
purpose, if you will, or very, maybe not limited, but focused purpose. And that's to set the world on fire with discipline. And I think ultimately that is like over the course of my life, that's what I'm really going to be known for. Or that will be like the biggest impact that I'm able to leave on my community is helping people be more disciplined and reap the benefits of living a life of discipline. However, uh, even though that does drive me and that does inspire me and that does motivate me, what better way to teach people lessons of discipline than to focus on my own backyard, which would be wrestling and grappling athletes, and teaching them discipline through lifting weights and getting stronger and enhancing their athletic performance. It's like the sweet spot. Like if I, I could have been passionate about any two things and it just so happens that being passionate about discipline and um, mindset and also being passionate about, about jujitsu, wrestling and strength training, all those things blend together so well. So I'm very blessed that um, at least as of right now, I get to go hard in the paint on helping grappling athletes win more matches and get injured less. And the only way they can do that is by getting stronger and being more disciplined. So that's what drives me. I'm I'm also extre- extremely competitive. So uh, if there's a thing, if there's something to win, I'm trying to win. And if any athletes I'm working with are competing, I'm trying to help them in the best way possible, increase their chances of winning. Um, and yeah, that, that's what drives me. That's what keeps me pretty fired up. And the, the, that would be the short answer. And then if you're creating your own home gym from scratch on a limited budget, what would we find there? Uh, if space isn't a uh, if space isn't a confine, so like if you if you have the space to hang a pull up bar or hang a set of rings, I would start there first. Get a pull-up bar or get a set of rings that you can hang from the ceiling because those are gonna be very versatile. Um, I would also try to get as many cheap yard sale adjustable dumbbell weights as possible. Don't worry about getting a full rack of dumbbells that have the rubber on the ends and stuff. Just get the cheap stuff first. You wanna get the most amount of stuff you can uh, as far as building out that that home gym. So I'd get a pull-up bar, or rings, and then I would get some cheap dumbbells. And then on a limited budget, I would honestly just put the rest of my money towards getting bands. Bands are just such an amazing training tool because you can attach them to almost anything. You can do a ton of different exercises with them. Um, And yeah, that would be my budget gym. Rings or pull-up bar, dumbbells and bands. And then from there, I would just start saving the rest of my money to get a barbell and some bumper plates or some Olympic plates. And then, you know, that way you could do deadlifts, band over rows, barbell curls, you could do floor press, you could do zercher lifts, um, like zercher deadlift, zercher squats, clean snatches, power cleans, you could do some landmine stuff, which is great. And then from there, after you have a barbell and some bumper plates, I would say, look into a squat rack. And that'd be my budget gym right there. We've got a question from Muhammad. He says, I train a lot and have an internship as a civil engineering uh, or as a civil engineer at a building project, which is pretty dope. And he does that five days a week. His question is how to manage to fit strength training in my plan because I only have two days, Saturday and Sunday, where I can do my strength and conditioning program. Do you guys have any tips for me? Great question, Muhammad. Um, My advice would be to find time to do it in the morning during the week. This is the exact problem that I ran into when I was in my first couple years of college. Uh, I'd, If you guys aren't familiar with my story, I had gotten up early 
uh, when I was in high school around 4.45 a.m. to run or to lift during wrestling season because that was the only time I could get that extra work in. Once I graduated high school and I was in college, I worked at a gym, so I had access to just work out whenever I wanted and train, do my strength training whenever I wanted. And it was all over the place for that first semester. Actually, that entire first year of college, it was all over the place. One day I'd train at like 9.30 at night, then the next day I'd go at five in the morning. Like it was so sporadic. And it was really hard to make a lot of progress and make a lot of gains because I really had no consistent schedule like I did when I was in high school. Long story short, I get roped into signing up for a bodybuilding show and I needed the consistency in order to really train for this bodybuilding show. And so I ended up just, you know, making the time. And the only time that worked well for me to train for that bodybuilding show that allowed me to focus and it was distraction free and allowed me to get the things done that I needed to happened to be at 5 a.m. So I'd wake up at four, be at the gym at five, train from five to 6.30. And then at uh, 6.30, I'd be on my way, you know, getting either getting home or showering at the gym, going straight to school, whatever I needed to do the rest of the day. But here's the deal. You don't need a ton of time to train. You don't need a ton of time to get in some high quality training. All you need is about 60 to 90 minutes. There's usually almost for everybody, there's 60 minutes to be had first thing in the morning. For me, I train now at 4.15 a.m. I get up at 2.20, get to the gym around 4.15 a.m. And I train for 60 to 90 minutes and then I'm out. So I would suggest for you, Muhammad, is try not to condense all your training on just Saturday and Sunday. I would spread those out a little bit by 48 to 72 hours. This is, uh, uh, I originally got this from Louis Simmons, who they separate their max effort and their dynamic effort training by 72 hours. So they would do a max effort squat on Monday, and then they would come back on Thursday and do a dynamic effort squat or do a dynamic effort deadlift. So you want to wait 48 to 72 hours. How I would do it is if you only have those two days to train, I would train on Tuesday or Thursday, a Monday, Wednesday sort of deal. I would not do them back to back. The main reason being is because that second training session, you're going to already be fatigued and under recovered from the session you did on day one. And then trying to have a high quality training session on day two is going to be that much more difficult. Next question from my boy, Omar. I'm competing in April or May in jujitsu. When do I start running the bracket smasher program or do I do overtime? And then follow up question. If I compete every month, do I run it normally it as in bracket smasher or, um, do I change it up? The competitions will be held on the weekends. Great question, Omar. So Omar is one of our athletes in the strength matrix, and he's referring to our competition prep program for jujitsu and wrestling athletes called Bracket Smasher. Bracket Smasher is a training program that I specifically designed to meet the needs of a grappling athlete. So it's going to focus on maximizing your strength development, improving your explosive power, increasing your conditioning, decreasing your risk of injury, and further improving your mobility so that you're able to feel your best in every training session that you do. Right now, as we're recording this, it's January 20th. So you would have Omar all of February, all of March, and most of April, if not all of April. So that's about 12 weeks. That's or that's over 12 weeks of training camp, which is awesome. That is a ton of time for you to really develop a lot of strength improve explosive power and increase your conditioning while decreasing your risk of injury. So what I would suggest doing is follow Bracket Smasher 
as prescribed because Bracket Smasher has both the strength stuff, the explosive power, and it focuses on conditioning. Overtime, on the other hand, which is another program in the strength matrix, is six weeks of very specific conditioning training. You're going to need your conditioning training, but you don't want to give up your strength training and your explosive power training. So I would first do Bracket Smasher, follow that all the way up until about a week out from your tournament in April or May. And then I would rest that week of the tournament, get in some light drilling, stay hydrated, maybe work up a little bit of a sweat um, just to stay loose and then compete, smash that bracket, and then get right back to it uh, the following week of training. Now, for your follow-up question, you said, if I compete once a month, every month, do I run Bracket Smasher normally? The, ch- the competitions are going to be held on the weekends. Yes. If you compete every once a month, every month, you would run Bracket Smasher just as you normally would. The only difference would be the week of the competition. I would make uh, either Monday or Tuesday your last uh, Bracket Smasher training session. So if you're doing day one of Bracket Smasher, on Monday, day two on Wednesday, and then day three on Friday, that week of the competition, just do day one and then take off days two and three and just rest and recover. And then when you come back to the Bracket Smasher program after the tournament, just pick right back up where you left off. It may get, you know, you may not always do day one on Monday or always do day two on Wednesday, and that's totally okay. But what we want to do is because you're competing so often, we want to make sure that we're still training and making progress during the time that you're competing. But the week of competition, that's when we do want to dip the training intensity and training volume down just a little bit so your body can recover. You can feel good when you compete. And then when you come back from your competition, you can get right back to training. Omar has a couple other questions. How do you guys drop weight for a competition? I have a weight loss goal of going from 108 kilos to 85 kilos at the end of the year, but I want to compete in two weeks. Is it possible to cut weight down slowly while not losing strength? Absolutely. So one thing at a time, this is a pretty loaded question. How do we drop weight for a competition? Now, for someone like you, Omar, who is going through quite a big difference in uh weight discrepancy going from 108 kilos to 85 kilos, that's probably going to take about a year, possibly, maybe even a little bit longer. You want to do it slowly. Uh, Realistically, you don't want to crash diet. You don't want to cut tons and tons and tons of weight. You want to have a nice, slow, consistent weight loss that's going to allow you to still feel strong and still perform at your best as you reach these lower uh, body weights. That being said, if you're competing in two weeks, I wouldn't even cut weight. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't worry about any of that, to be honest. Here's my stance on cutting weight. Unless you're getting paid to win, or unless you're going for a state, national, or world title, I really don't think there's that much value in cutting weight. That being said, if you have, if you're a little fluffy and your body fat percentage is over say 13% as a grappling athlete, I would highly suggest that you get in better shape and decrease body fat, not just from a performance perspective, but as a general health perspective also. If you have 15, 17, 20% body fat as a grappling athlete, you don't need to cut weight. You just need to get in shape. You're carrying around all that extra weight that isn't doing you a whole lot of favors for your sport and isn't doing you a whole lot of favors for your health. So that being said, if you're going to compete in two weeks, don't worry about cutting weight. If you want to compete, if you're 108 kilograms and you want to compete at 85 kilograms, it's going to take about a year 
to accomplish that, a nice, slow, progressive weight loss, something that's manageable, something that's realistic, and something that's actually maintainable for you to make 85 kilograms your new walk around body weight. Next, we have a question from my boy, Roger. What supplements do I take pre and post gym? Um, Great question. I don't take a whole lot, to be honest. The only thing I take as pre-workout is my double shot of espresso first thing in the morning. Sometimes I take the espresso straight, like just drink it as straight espresso. Sometimes I have an Americano, which is a double shot of espresso, at least for me, and then about six to eight ounces of, of water. And then other times I'll have a cappuccino, which does include some whole milk, which gives a, gives me a little bit of calories before I go to the gym, um, but it's not that much. It's usually just about six to eight ounces of milk for that. So that's what I take pre or before I leave for the gym. On my way to the gym, sometimes I'll take Kratom or Mind Bullet, which is one of my favorite cognitive supplements. It's Kratom is a, uh, is a plant from Indonesia that is in the same botanical family as coffee, but it doesn't give you the same jitteriness as all the caffeine that coffee has. It improves your focus and boosts creativity. Uh, it delays uh, mental fatigue. And so having those three things is great for when I go to the gym. I feel like my workouts are freaking awesome. Um, but it doesn't make you all jittery. It doesn't make your face itch. It doesn't, I don't feel like my skin is crawling or anything like that, like some of these other typical pre-workouts. So I'll do that, coffee and Kratom. I'm not doing Kratom right now for the month of January. So right now it's just been coffee. But after I go to the gym, then the only supplements I would take would just be a scoop of whey protein. Um, but even right now, I haven't been doing that super consistently, mostly because I just eat right when I get home. So I'm not worried about missing like the anabolic window or anything like that. I just eat right when I get home. However, what I do eat is always a packed meal of protein and carbs. We have a question from Colin, still on the subject of nutrition. How often do you have treat meals or cheat meals in and out of camp? Uh, so I've talked about this before on Instagram and a couple times on um, YouTube, I think, but I haven't had a cheat meal in probably close to five years, maybe even six years almost, but don't get it twisted. I have had plenty of treat meals. First of all, the thing with the term cheat meals that I have some issues with is I'm not in a relationship with food, so there's really no way I could be cheating or be unfaithful or have an affair <laughs> with food just because that's a little bit of a weird concept. Um, but I understand where people are coming from with that. Like, are you cheating on your diet? Did you make an agreement to eat in this specific fashion and then you deviated from that? Are you cheating on the agreement that you made with yourself for your diet? I understand where they're coming from. Um, for me, I don't really have cheat meals, you know, and I don't even believe in cheat meals being a thing because in my opinion, the only thing you deserve is what you earn. And if you need a cheat meal, that's fine as long as you earned it. So you, then you're not cheating. You're actually treating, T-R-E-A-T, treating yourself to a good meal. And I think that's great. And I think that's awesome. I think people should have treat meals as long as they're earned. Um, for myself, like for me, I only have a treat meal if all my training sessions are complete. So all my jujitsu sessions are done. All my lifting sessions are done. Then and only then can I say like, okay, I'm ready for a treat meal. And usually that's probably once a week at the very most. 
Um, but more commonly, it's probably like once every two weeks or maybe even once a month. Um, it just depends on kind of what's available and what's going on. Sometimes over the holidays, it's once a week. But if there aren't a whole lot of holidays, then I just eat all my normal stuff and I don't really have a need to to treat for my diet. I do love what I eat on a daily basis so much that I don't like deviating from it anyway. So if I could eat whatever I, I want, regardless of diet, I would just eat what I normally eat now. So that answers that question. Then we have a question from Ali, best exercise to improve butterfly guard. Very interesting question. So here's the thing with um, some of these like sports specific position questions. There really aren't a whole lot of exercises that are gonna specifically improve butterfly guard like hey this exercise is the butterfly guard exercise you're going to do three sets of this butterfly guard exercise and then everybody is getting swept it doesn't really work that way however there are a ton of exercises that are going to improve your ability to do butterfly guard but they're not going to directly correlate to your butterfly guard because if you're if you don't drill your butterfly guard if you don't uh, practice the technique you could still have a trash butterfly guard even if you did get stronger. So getting that out of the way, some good exercises that will improve your ability to do butterfly guard. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Deep astrograss squats are a big one. Um, ATG split squats are another one. Anything that puts you in really deep knee and ankle flexion is a good idea. And then really focusing on um, hip abduction. So hip abduction, abduction is the movements that spread your knees apart or open up that taint. So squatting is definitely a big one. But if you have something like a hip circle that you can put around your knees that are going to help strengthen your glute medius. So the muscles on the sides of your glute that are responsible for helping pulling your knees apart or your abductors, those are going to be great exercises um, that improve uh, knee stability and hip mobility, like the 90-90 hip drill, Copenhagen planks, shin box get-ups. Those are all great exercises that are going to contribute to butterfly guard. And then I think another thing that will help with butterfly guard is um, making sure that your hips are mobile enough for you to get into the proper position. And then also that you have the dexterity so like you can control the movements of your legs to be able to enter butterfly guard effectively and then be able to control someone with butterfly guard effectively. So hope that answers that question. We got a next question from Daniel. How to program for strength training with some hypertrophy work? Oh, this is an awesome question. This is one of my favorite, this is probably my favorite question uh, in this first Q&A episode, mainly because this is my favorite style of training. Strength training with some hypertrophy training mixed in there as well. And this, this question really correlates a lot with the bracket smasher program that we have on the strength matrix. And main reason being is because the strength matrix, we have two days in the training split that are designed specifically for maximum strength development and explosive power, followed by a little bit of conditioning at the very end. So it's going to be 45 minutes of strength work and then 10 to 15 minutes of conditioning at the very end. Those are days one and two. But then day three is what we call our jacked and tan day. So this day is all about building more muscle, all about focusing on weak points, all about making sure that we're bulletproofing our body, building muscle in the right area so that we can actually decrease a risk of injury. And how we do that, and you can do this with any training program really, but how we do that is we just make sure that the accessory exercises that we're adding 
after our main movements are all going to contribute to us getting stronger um, either in a specific lift or stronger in an area that's that we can specifically measure. So for example, if we're looking at something like the bench press or the floor press, you want to get stronger in the floor press, which is a horizontal pressing movement. So some things you would do for strength would be, okay, you're going to do your reps of heavy floor press, and then you're going to follow that up with something to uh, go heavy for your upper back. That way, you know, you can still increase the strength of your back. So maybe do like some heavy pull-ups or something. After that, then you would move into your more traditional hypertrophy work. So say for the floor press, you did a couple sets of five, and then for your heavy pull-ups, you did you know three to four sets of six reps on that. That was your heavy work because most of your strength work is gonna take place within the four to six rep range. After that, your accessory work can be exercises that are gonna contribute to you getting stronger in your floor press, but are gonna be within the eight to 12 rep range. So that could be things like heavy dumbbell rollbacks, uh, cable face pulls, uh, chest-supported dumbbell rows, one-arm dumbbell rows. You could do things uh, like heavy skull crushers, or you can even do close grip floor press or uh, floor JM press. Those are really fun, actually, the floor JM press. So you want to follow up your main strength work with accessories that fit within that 8 to 12 rep range, which are going to help with hypertrophy. Can you do much higher reps than 8 to 12 reps? Yes, absolutely. And you're still going to make some hypertrophic gains. However, the bulk of your hypertrophy training is probably, you're going to see the best results if you stick within that 8 to 12 rep range. And then we have a few questions from Hunter. He's another member on the Strength Matrix and a member of the AM crew. Hunter asks, what is your 10-year career goal? This is a uh, pretty loaded question. I kind of uh, kind of alluded to this in the beginning. 10 years from now, I'm going to be 34 years old. And uh, I have recorded a voice recording and a uh, email that I sent to myself with a reminder in 10 years, if the world's still here, we'll see, um, in 10 years to listen to that voice memo uh, as a 24 year old and then kind of see where I'm at. And so I know, uh, I don't know exactly where I'm gonna be. I don't know exactly where I'm gonna live. I don't know exactly what my life is gonna look like, but I do have a pretty clear vision of what I wanna do and how I wanna continue things, if you will, once I turn 34. And um, I've dedicated, made a conscious decision to dedicate the next 10 years to helping as many grappling athletes as I can win more matches and get injured less. And it starts in 2022. 2022, I set a very clear goal of helping 1,000 grappling athletes win more matches and get injured less. I knew that if in 2021 when I was, or sorry, let me rewind. I knew in 2020 that I was limited in my capacity to work with athletes in a, one, in a one-on-one fashion. Um, I only have so much time. I only have so much attention that I can give to each individual athlete each day, right? Um, and I can help people in some big ways, but I won't be able to help that many people. And I knew that I needed something that's gonna help me spread uh, the help and value that I can provide to grappling athletes because I, I kept seeing it over and over and over. I'd show up to these tournaments, I'd take athletes uh, to these tournaments and I'd see other athletes get injured. I'd talk to some of the other athletes and coaches and they'd say like, yeah, like we had a great season, but you know, 
the start of the season was great, but at the end of the season, we couldn't even take anybody to the state tournament because our whole team got injured. And I was just heartbroken by it, honestly, thinking like, I definitely can't work with all of those athletes on that team one-on-one, but what could I do to help them in a way that would still allow them to win more matches and get injured less that is that doesn't have me as a limiting factor and so in 2020 I, I made that decision like okay i need to figure something out to to scale this so then in 2021 that's when i decided to design the strength matrix i was like okay i'm gonna spend this entire year building the strength matrix making this the one-stop shop for grappling athletes that way any grappling athlete that signs up they are guaranteed to improve their performance on the mat they're guaranteed to feel better they're guaranteed to be part of a thriving community that supports them and encourages them they're guaranteed that they're going to be in a better position and be better equipped to win more matches and get injured less and so once i designed the strength matrix and launched that and it was successful and like the website didn't explode or anything like that i knew like okay we're in business now. This first year, this is 2022. In 2022, I need to help 1,000 grappling athletes win more matches and get injured less. And here's the deal. This is the same thing I was talking about with discipline on my old podcast. If each one of us, if you're listening to this right now, if you're able to apply these lessons of discipline, these these concepts of, of doing hard things now so you can have a greater reward later, if you're able to do that now, not only is your life going to see a positive impact, but you're going to see a positive impact in in the lives of everybody around you. And I knew that the same process would happen with the strength matrix. If anyone signs up for the strength matrix and they're able to learn these things and apply these things, and they're actually able to start winning more matches and getting injured less, I know that they're going to have some solid information and some solid knowledge that they can share with their teammates, which means their teammates are going to start being able and being in a better position to win more matches and get injured less. And then those teammates are gonna talk to their teammates and their friends, and it's just gonna spread like wildfire and it's gonna be awesome. And so I'm kind of rambling here, but 10 year career goal would be, I don't know how many athletes I'm gonna have helped in 10 years, but I definitely know that by the end of these 10 years, like I wanna make sure that I've helped as many grappling athletes as freaking possible whether that's 100,000, whether that's a million, whether that's every single grappling athlete that's ever put on a pair of wrestling shoes or a gi, I don't wanna look back in 10 years and think like, well, I don't know if I made it and I didn't really try that hard. So who knows, maybe I would've made it if I tried harder. I don't live that way. I freaking hate even thinking that way. So I'm here just to 100% just max out everything that I'm doing so I can help as many grappling athletes as possible win more matches and get injured less. And it starts with dedicating 2022 to helping that first thousand and then taking things from there. So a little bit of a long-winded answer, but that's my 10-year career goal. Uh, What's my favorite submission? Anything that I can do from someone's back. If I can take someone's back, I feel pretty confident that I can can finish them or at least (laughs) hang out there for a while. Uh, next question is there one cheat meal you could eat every day with no consequence or side effects what would it be probably not i honestly feel like i have a treat meal every single day because the food i eat i just love it's like my favorite food i know it doesn't sound sexy it doesn't sound exciting but i like it i guess one thing i would like though if i could have more coffee throughout the day without consequences or side effects I would definitely do that. And I definitely don't consider coffee to be a quote unquote treat meal because I don't put any 
sugar or anything like that. The only thing I put in there, if anything, is milk. But the caffeine in there definitely does mess me up after I have more than about two cups a day. And if I could drink coffee all day, like as I'm going to bed and sleep just fine, I would. And I know people say like, bro, caffeine doesn't affect me. I could drink a whole cup of coffee and fall asleep right after where it doesn't affect me at all. That's a bunch of BS. That's a lie. The studies have shown that it actually does affect your sleep. It prevents you from falling into a deep sleep and having a higher quality of sleep. You may be consciously asleep, like your eyes may be closed, but you really are doing some damage to your body's ability to effectively sleep. So hate to break it to you guys. And then last question, any advice on balancing financial stability and maintaining a competitive training schedule? Yes, this is a, this is a really good question that I think a lot of com competitive grapplers need to be asking themselves and need to be considering. First things first, set up a budget. You set up a budget, whatever that looks like for you and your family, or if you're you're single, just for yourself, set up a budget and actually stick to it. That's going to be the the number one thing. It's not going to work out very well for you if you're a if you have a competitive training schedule and you're competing all the time, and you're competing on a bunch of borrowed money, or you're trying to like scrounge for cash every time you compete. You have a one way ticket to compete. You don't know how you're going to make it back. Set up a budget and stick to that budget. That being said, some things you can do to, um, I guess, better supplement your income while you're on a competitive training schedule. Whether you work a full-time job and you're training and competing full-time or you're working a part-time job and training and competing full-time, try to think of ways for you to maximize the amount of time you spend in jujitsu and how much money you can make from jujitsu or wrestling. Wrestling and jujitsu, they're kind of broke sports. Unless you're like one of maybe 10 people in either sport, you really don't make that much money. Um, the progression as an athlete, I should say, um, the progression, at least in most, for most jujitsu athletes is they train really, really, really hard. They live like a competitive athlete. So basically they're, they live like a, a homeless person. I heard someone have a funny joke and they say, uh, what do you call a bodybuilder without a girlfriend? And the answer is homeless. <laughs> and I think uh, for jujitsu and some wrestling athletes, that's also very true as well. So the progression is athletes live like this. They hustle and they grind and they work super, super, super hard. They win a world title or maybe they even do even better than that. And they win multiple world titles. And then they need to actually start thinking about what they're going to do to make money because their competitive career is starting to slow down a little bit. So then they open up a school and they run a jujitsu school or they run a wrestling academy or they take a, a coaching position at a high school or a college and then they make money that way. If coaching is your passion, then that's awesome. I think that's great. That is an amazing way to financially support yourself while you're maintaining a competitive training schedule. The other thing you might want to look at though is trying to find ways to monetize your skills as you're working up to that point without necessarily having to invest in running and managing and operating your own training facility because that can be very taxing that can be very 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 difficult so that could be doing things like coaching privates filming instructional content um they could be even just looking at other ways of making money ubering door dashing doing all these ride sharing services or other uh services like that where you're able to get paid those are an another great way to do that. And then um, the other thing that you could think about is just trying to find ways to uh, just be smart with your money 
that i mean budgeting is definitely part of that but being smart with your money in the sense of like okay how lean can i live to effectively pay for this passion of mine and then from there you just keep squirreling away and keep saving any extra winnings that you make and then eventually you'll be able to invest that in things down the line and then you'll be in a pretty good financial spot so i'm definitely not a financial expert so i should have prefaced this entire answer with saying that i'm not a financial expert so take all this with a grain of salt but if you want my opinion on establishing financial stability while maintaining a competitive jujitsu training schedule that would be my answer so that being said that's it for this first q a episode of the strength matrix thank you guys so much for listening my name is josh Settledge. you guys can follow me on instagram at joshua Settledge. And if you're interested in that free four-week strength program that I would love to send you guys, you can click the link in the podcast description below. You can download that for free, get a sneak peek of the Strength Matrix, and I'll catch you guys later. Peace.